Chapter Nine of Billyhilt by Julie Sutter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, Peace at Last. I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Psalm two eight. On the evening preceding the night on which Billyhilt received the news of her husband's death, two men of God were wending their way through a forest in Hessian land. The long robe of undyed sheep's wool was held up by the girdle. Their heads were covered with the broad-brimmed hat, the pilgrim's staff was in their hand, and they strode away actively, bent on reaching their journey's end before the night. One of them, tall and thoughtful, had reached the riper years of manhood, his younger, fair-haired companion being scarcely more than five-and-twenty. "'Look yonder, Adelham,' said the former. "'We now see the wooded heights of Thuringia rising in the purple sunset. The Vesra cannot be far. I think we are near the frontier. Alas, I tremble for Brother Lando.' If it be true that the Saxons have crossed the Vesra, pillaging the land as far as the Hessian frontier, he may have fared grievously in his lonely cell. "'I, too, am full of fears,' replied the younger, "'for though his cell lies apart in a forest glen, it is not far distant from the Vesra.' "'I trust,' rejoined the elder, "'he may have evaded the danger, and found shelter with one of those Hessian nobles who have accepted his preaching. "'I doubt not, father, but that his spiritual children would protect him from trouble.' To which the former assented, but continued after a while. Yet I hope thou art not without the box of healing ointment, lest we should find him in trouble and wounded perchance. I have it with me, father, and whatever may be needed besides. But see, we are at the mouth of the glen, and yonder is Londo's cabin. It seems safe, and the little garden undisturbed. Yet there is no sign of our brother, interposed the elder traveller anxiously. God grant that we may find him safe. The two men quickened their steps. Two lambs were grazing happily on a meadow, and a fallow deer, which Londo had tamed, looked at them with quiet eyes. They opened the door of the cabin, and found Brother Londo on a low stool before his bed, bending towards the couch, and so engrossed that he heard them not. There was not sufficient light in the cabin for them to distinguish the object of his care. But when Adelhelm closed the door with a creak, Londo started anxiously. "'Peace be with thee,' said the elder. "'We have come, brother, trusting to find thee safe.' "'God be thanked!' cried Londo. "'It is Villebrod's voice, and who is thy companion?' Brother Adelhelm is with me, who joined me at Erfurt. "'Blessed be your coming in,' said Londo. "'But let me strike a light, that I may see your face.' The pale glimmer of the lamp soon lit up the humble space. The travellers saw that the venerable Londo stood before them safe and sound, but they also saw the figure of a dead man on the couch. The lower part of the corpse was covered with the bearskin, but the upper part lay bare. On the chest a shining carbuncle hung suspended on a golden chain. The head was bound up with a cloth. "'How comest thou by this dead man in thy cabin?' asked Villebrod. "'He seems dead, yet there are no signs of death,' said Lando. "'He has lain here three days already. There is neither breath nor pulse, yet it is not the pallor of death, and he is scarcely cold.' "'Didst thou bring him from the battlefield?' asked Adelhelm. "'I did, brother. When the uproar had ceased I ventured forth in the shelter of the night. I found that there had been a deadly encounter, that the wild Saxons had been on our side of the river, but that they had left again and that the Thuringians also had disappeared from their place of encampment. Then I bethought me whether some poor wounded warrior might not require help, and looking about I came upon the ashes of what evidently had been a great funeral pyre, leaving no doubt that the conquerors had butchered their prisoners and burnt them as a sacrifice to Eeyore. The corpses of those which had fallen in the encounter were lying about, already a prey to the crows and ravens which haunt the battlefield. I turned to quit the ghastly scene, when I perceived a crow settling on a body and leave it again almost immediately. I went nearer, and saw it was a fine manly figure, in buffalo armour, but without sword or helmet, lying pale and still. 
I touched his hand, and it was warm. I lifted him on my shoulders and brought him to my cabin, and here he has been lying these three days, pale, motionless, without breath or sign of life, but warm. I have found no wound on him but the marks of a blow on his head, which I keep therefore bandaged with cold water. I was trying to listen to the beat of his heart when you entered. I had vainly done so before, but this time it seemed as though there were a slight pulsation. "'Let us try,' said Adelhelm, plucking a small feather from a tame pigeon which shared Londo's cabin, and placing the fluffy down upon the lips of the lifeless warrior, when the feather trembled almost imperceptibly at measured intervals. "'He lives! He breathes! The Lord be praised!' cried Adelhelm. "'Let us call upon our God,' said Villebrod, kneeling, "'that he may be gracious unto him and restore his life.' Villebrod would not leave Londo's cabin before they knew the Lord's will concerning the unknown warrior, and whether he would die or live. They hoped for the latter. Adelhelm went to prepare a couch for himself and Father Villebrod, while Londo busied himself in getting ready a humble supper for his guests. Villebrod, in the meantime, watched the pale-faced man, again and again listening for the beating of his heart and it did beat more and more frequently. They took their supper in quiet haste, and returning to the bedside wetted the sick man's lips, which seemed less white than before, and behold he swallowed the water thirstily. They repeated the attempt. The breathing became more and more regular. Towards midnight he opened his eyes, and seeing men about him with unknown faces, though otherwise of well-known dress and appearance, he closed them again with a sigh, and sighing again he whispered, Bilhild. We shall leave him, body and soul, to the care of the men of God, returning ourselves to the Würzburg. It was on a Wednesday morning that Billihild's flight had been discovered. That also was the day sacred to Woden, when the great sacrifice in memory of Hayden's death was to be celebrated, and Regisvinz should be killed by Woden's priest. But Gila was obliged to postpone her intentions. Billihild's escape required half the inhabitants of the Borg to be dispatched on the search, and the proposed sacrifice must be honored by the presence of all. Moreover, Regisvind had been greatly disfigured by Gila's blows. Her face was covered with unsightly marks of violence, which would not heal in the damp hole assigned to her abode, yet she must present a fair countenance to be offered up to the god, for which reason a respite was granted until the Wednesday a fortnight hence. The evil day came round. Not in the forest, as was usual, but in the inner court the pyre was raised. Triumphant Gila had chosen the very place where her husband, Gotzbert, had renounced all heathen worship. The whole household was gathered in a circle, and as the ill-fated horses and boars were being prepared for the night, wild songs to Woden rose on the air. The tumult was heard as far as the Cenobi, filling the congregation with grief and horror. The chief victim was now called for, and Regisvind was dragged to the spot. One of the priests held the knife, while another bared her bosom to receive it. She prayed aloud to God in heaven. Her words were overpowered by the bloodthirsty howling of her murderers, but louder than this even resounded a piercing cry of horror and Gila fell to the ground. And the silence which followed it was more terrible even than the noise. What was it? The eyes of all were upon Gila, but she, writhing on the ground, pointed in agony to the Borg gate. "'What evil work is being done here?' cried Hayden imperiously, for it was he who had appeared at the entrance, followed by a number of his Christian nobles. None dared answer. Regisvind only, after a while, found strength to give a trembling account of what had happened and what was being done. "'And where is Billihild? demanded the Herzog. "'Hiding, no doubt, in her chamber,' said Regisvind, who knew nothing of her flight. "'They drove her from her rightful place in the hall long ago.' But now Gila jumped up, rejoicing in the news she thought she could give, and cried with evil laughter, "'She has fled from the Borg, ashamed to stay. It is a fortnight since she disappeared in the dead of the night.' "'God forbid!' 
exclaimed the Herzog. A great length indeed thou must have driven her before she could take such a step. Give me back my wife. Ask Giselhar to give her back to thee, sneered Gila. I am innocent of her flight. Giselhar has been seen in the Cenobi. I doubt me not, but he knows where she may be hiding. He is here, and ready to answer your charge against the noble Herzogin. And Giselhar himself stepped forward from among the warriors. I was in the Cenobi, as you say, and I had ample proof of your cruelty to the God-fearing lady. I did offer to save her from her heathen surroundings, forgetting in my selfish blindness that it was the Lord who had placed her there. But she steadfastly refused to accept my protection to Regensburg, and even refused to see me. Yes, more than this, she commanded me to leave Würzburg unless I would have her acquaint you herself of my presence. Seeing she was in earnest, but knowing her danger, and still desirous of saving her, I rode off at once to call together the Christian nobles who, I knew, would gather round their Herzogin. But it cost me days and nights before I found our brave Thuringians. They had beaten the Saxons, making good the defeat sustained by the Vestra, and were even then pursuing them beyond the frontier of their own country. And when at last I came upon them as they returned victoriously, we fell in with a Hessian freeman who spoke to us, saying, If ye be Thuringians, sirs, and anxious perchance to see your own Herzog again, follow me, for your Herzog is not dead as ye deem, but living with Londo and Villebord, the men of God. And he showed us the way to the Crossburg beyond the Vesra, where we found the noble Hayden healed in body and soul, and we witnessed his baptism by Father Villebord. I can add to this testimony, now said Regisvind, addressing herself to Gila. And indeed I have assured you already that our Herzogin would have nothing to say to the noble Giselhar. You expected me to bear false testimony against her, and when I refused you ill-treated me with your own hands and condemned me to a cruel death." "'All this will not explain her flight,' said Hayden, turning again to his mother. "'Once more I ask thee, to what length thou hast driven her, before she could leave the Borg?' "'I can tell, so it please you,' now spoke the doorkeeper who was on guard that night. She threatened Pilung to sacrifice him together with Regisvind and she threatened the Herzogin to hold her a prisoner and bring her to the fire ordeal, but me she commanded not to hinder the lady's flight if she chose to go. "'Whither is she gone? Give me back my wife!' cried Hayden, beside himself with pity and grief, taking hold of his mother by the arm, yet dropping it again immediately. "'She is my mother,' added he. "'I will not be her judge nor her keeper. I give her to your care, my nobles. Hold her safe, lest she work further sorrow.' One of the nobles, Rodbert by name, accepted the charge, and led her away with him to his borg. The heathen priests were tied and imprisoned by Hayden's command. "'Woe is me to be bereaved of so faithful a wife,' said he. "'Yet it is God's just retribution for my sinful distrust of her. I am not worthy of such a wife. I pray God to make me better than I was. I would fain ride in search of her, not stopping day or night that I might find her again. Yet the ruler is tied to his Würzburg by all important duties. But thou, brother Giselhar, Thou mayest go in search of her, and perchance bring her back to me." And Giselhar, accepting the trust, rode off at once, directing his horse's head to Hushheim, hoping to learn of Totman whether Billihelt had any relatives to whom she might have gone in her distress. But the venerable Totman had departed this life. Gertrude had some recollection of having heard Meshild mention an uncle of Billihild's, but where he lived she knew not, nor could she remember his name. Autumn and winter passed, and Hayden had no news of Billihild. All his attempts to hear of her proved fruitless. Giselhar, too, had returned from an unsuccessful search, and was again at Herzog Tordo's court. Spring had come to the country, when one day a messenger arrived at Regensburg, sent by the Frankish king, Kildebert. Speaking to Tordo and his nobles, he related much of new Cenobis he had seen on his journey, and how the gospel was finding entrance everywhere. Amongst other places, this messenger had visited a school at Moguntia, founded by a niece of Abbot Bishop Siegfried for the Christian training of young maidens. 
Siegfried's niece herself was but young, he said, and had fled with her women and a maimed manservant from a heathen mother-in-law. Giselhar started. "'When was this?' he exclaimed. "'Some months ago,' replied the messenger. The young abbess had bought the land for her foundation, paying for it with twelve silver shields and twelve black steeds, which her uncle gave her as her share of the property come to her by her Irish parentage. "'Yes, yes!' cried Giselhar, "'and her name is Bilahild.' "'It may be,' said the Frank. "'I do not remember her name.' Within two days of this conversation, Herzog Hayden received a letter by Giselhar's fleetest runner. Hayden tore it open, and turned pale, then red. He gave immediate orders for a vessel to be got ready, and having put the Borg in charge of a trusted freeman, he took boat, accompanied by a suitable retinue, and sailed down the main. Regiswind was of the party. It was a pleasant journey between the wooded heights, but Hayden's heart grew heavier day by day. It was early in April, just about a year since he first met Billyhild among the beech trees. Sadness filled his soul as he thought of that meeting. "'Will she come to me now, if I find her again?' said he within himself. "'She cannot but have heard by this time that I am alive. Why has she not returned to me? Or is it all a mistake, and the young abbess is not my Billyhild?' On the sixth day at noon the vessel was carried by the main into the stately Rhine, and anchored before Moguntia. Pilung was tending the cattle on a meadow, when lifting his eyes he beheld a young woman, walking swiftly along. But seeing him she turned and came up to him. He seemed to know her yet waited doubtfully another moment, and— "'Regisvind, is it thyself or a spirit?' he said. "'It is myself, Pilung,' she said, smiling. "'Why shouldst thou take me for a ghost?' "'But thou wast going to be—' and he was unable to continue. "'Going to be sacrificed to Vodin,' said she, taking up his sentence. "'Yes, but by the grace of God I have escaped. I found shelter with an honest man, and am now in the service of one who has shipping on the main.' "'The Lord be praised who saved thee!' rejoined Pilla. But tell me, is it true that our Herzog lives? We heard some time ago that peace was restored in the Würzburg, and that a ruler had returned. We thought that perchance one of Herzog Hayden's relatives might have been chosen by the people, but quite lately we learned that our own Herzog Hayden had come back from the war. We could not believe it. Our much-honoured abbess cried sore at the news. Is he indeed alive, and has he not made search for me? He could but have inquired of Totman, who would surely have told him that my uncle is Abbot Bishop of Mongunshe but I fear me my husband is offended that I left the Borg. His mother Gaila has turned his heart from me, and I dare not venture back to the Würzburg. So she says, and tears are her portion every day. But now thou art come with certain news of the Herzog. Tell me, how is he minded?' "'How should I know?' replied Regisvind, keeping up her role. "'Did I not tell thee I escaped to an honest man? In those days none knew what had become of the Herzog.' "'True,' assented Pilla. "'But now hasten to the abbess. She will receive thee gladly. Would I could leave the herd to go with thee.' I am on my way to her, but not alone," said Regisvind. My master, who brought me hither on his ship, desires to consult her concerning a maiden to be educated. Dost thou think she will receive him? He is waiting my answer, and wishes me to take him to Billyhild, for I told him I was in her service formerly." "'The abbess receives any one that requires to see her,' said Pilung. "'Go fetch thy master, and go with him.' "'He follows me yonder. Farewell till we meet again.' And Pilung watched her speed away towards a man who, from his dress and bearing, seemed a shipmaster, as she had described him. But Pilung could not see his face light up with joy at the account Regisvind gave him. He watched them walk away toward Billahilt's present home. The shipmaster was sufficiently disguised by a wig and a false beard, appearing an elderly man in his adopted garb. They entered the courtyard leading to the school, and having inquired for the lady abbess, were directed to an antechamber leading to the hall in which Billahilt taught her youthful charges. Regisvind remained outside, while her master entered the anteroom. 
With beating heart he saw the door open which led from the hall, and Billahilt, in a simple woolen robe, stepped forth. A sleeping babe lay on her arm. "'What is your desire?' she asked kindly. "'I would speak to you, noble Herzogin,' replied he, with an unusually deep voice. "'Not Herzogin, but Abbess,' she corrected him quickly, almost sharply. "'Excuse me,' continued the visitor, "'but I was wont to call you thus in former days, when you used to join in worship at the Versburg Cenobi. "'Alas!' she cried, "'what times are these you bring to my mind?' "'Yes,' said he, "'in those days your husband lived and had you by his side, but you were not happy.' "'Who are you?' interrupted Billahilt sternly. "'To speak to me thus. Those who do their duty are ever happy.' "'Yes, yes,' assented he. "'You did your duty, but he treated you unworthily.' "'How dare you accuse my husband to my face! If this is all your business with me, I have no more to say to you.' And she turned to go. "'Stay, noble lady, and let me deliver my commission.' He touched her arm. The little boy awoke, crowing lustily. But he, taking from his bosom a carbuncle suspended by a golden chain, hung it round the child's neck. "'What is this?' cried Billihild. "'How do you come by this jewel, the Herzog's heirloom, which his own father put on him when he was yet a babe in arms, and which he never parted with, to my knowledge?' "'True,' said he. "'The Herzog's heirloom has always passed to the son and heir with the father's first blessing.' "'But how do you come by it? Have they robbed my husband in death and sold you the jewel? Oh, say what you would have, and let me redeem it!' "'I cannot sell it. It belongs to the child now to whom it passed from my hands. But no enemy stole this jewel, and the Herzog never parted with it. Have you never heard the report, lady, that Hayden is not dead, but lives?' "'I have heard it,' she said with uncertain, almost frightened voice. "'But it seemed more than I could believe.' "'Why so?' There are others who live, though you believe them dead. Regismund, for instance. And Regismund entered. Billihild, seeing her, gave a cry, and putting down the child, she clasped the waiting woman in her arms. She could not speak. Yes, dear Herzogin, said Regismund, taking up the child and fondling it. I am indeed returned from the very gates of death. The knife was lifted to slay me when the Herzog appeared, whom we had mourned as dead. And the Lord has brought him to life in a double sense. He is a Christian now, and a true believer. And what would you say, dear lady, if he himself were present to confirm this happy news?" Billihilt turned uneasily. The shipmaster had thrown off his disguise. She was clasped to her husband's heart. Three days later they set out to return to the Würzburg, where they arrived towards the end of April, the school of Maguncia having passed to the care of another abbess. Joyously rose the hymns of praise and thanksgiving from both Cenobis, when the ship, drawn up the river by six stout horses, returned with the happy pair. No sooner had they entered their own Würzburg than a servant announced a man of God coming from Hessian land with a special message to the Herzog. He had arrived the day before, and was waiting in the Cenobi. "'That is Villebrard,' exclaimed Hayden. "'Bring him hither, speedily. He is a welcome guest, and shall bless our happy union.' It was Villebrard, indeed, bringing news which moved both Hayden and Billahilt greatly. "'I have visited Rodbert on my journey hither,' said he, "'and have seen your mother, Anna.' Her name is Gyla, interrupted Hayden. It was Gyla, said the man of God. She is Anna now. I learned from Rodbert that she has been ailing through the winter. She had times of great despondency, but repulsed every attempt to approach her with spiritual help. I went into her. What is thy desire, thou man of God? cried she. Hast thou come to call me to judgment? Thy God is terrible, powerful, victorious, and no lie can live when he speaketh. Yes, Gyla, I said. He is the holy and just who hath sent me. He has seen thy heart that it is black, 
and thy sins that they are as scarlet. He passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, and said unto thee, Live. Yea, thou shalt live through the blood of his only Son, shed for thee on the cross. He, the merciful Redeemer, will heal thee, Gila. He will snatch thee from death and darkness. He will take thee by the hand, and bring thee to his father, saying, Father, forgive her, I have borne her iniquities. And behold, she seized my hand with a torrent of tears, continuing in anguish for hours. But on the seventh day she received baptism. Her health is broken, she has not many days to live, and is anxious to see you and the Herzogin, that she may not die without your forgiveness. Hayden and Billahilt set off at once for Ruadbertsburg, to behold there the greatest triumph of gospel grace, and to assure the dying mother of their forgiving love. Having returned to the Würzburg after her death, Hayden felt desirous of proving his gratitude to Villebrot, his spiritual father, and did so by a grant of land, enabling him thereby to found new Cenobies in the northern part of Thuringia, which was still a stronghold of heathenism. The deed of gift, dated April 30, 704, is still extant, by which the Herzog made over to Villebrot, his father in Christ, his possessions at Arnstadt, also the land and castle Molenburg, near Gotha, and the village Monhove, between Arnstadt and Weimar. Villebrod charged his disciple Adelhelm with the founding of these new Cenobies. In the summer, Hayden gave Regisvent to his servant Pilung to wife, thereby meeting the desire of both their hearts. The wedding was on a Friday, according to ancient usage, which appropriated this day for serving folk. Freemen and lords always married on the Tuesday. The Christian congregation spread and grew, and the old Cenobi no longer could hold the numbers, but Hayden built a large, beautiful church at the foot of his Würzburg. And God blessed Billahilt and her husband with another child, besides their little son Turing, giving them a daughter, whom they called Emina. The boy Turing was a delicate child, and died before his father. Thus the rulership passed to another house. Emina lived to see the Irish Cenobis brought to the Pope's subjection, having first been forced to yield to the Frankish supremacy by Pepin d'Aristal. Centuries of darkness came upon the church, but though hiding the pure light of the gospel, they could not quench it. The Lord had prepared another time when, in Thuringia and elsewhere, men of God arose, strong to wield the sword of the Spirit and tear asunder the lying tissue of human invention, preaching the old, unchangeable gospel truth of Christ, the only Savior of men. Error is old, but older still is the truth which overcometh it. End of chapter 9 End of Billihilt, A Tale of the Irish Missionaries in Germany, A.D. 703 Given in English by Julie Sutter.